welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And again, we're coming to you with a special guest, and uh, you may know him. If you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and, uh, or a Chicago Bears fan or follow football on ESPN, then you know my next guest. We're talking about Merrill Hodge here. Merrill, welcome to the show, All Talk Oncology, my friend. Kenny. I like that applause, Kitty. That's nice, baby. That's a nice little, that's <laughs> nice, a nice little added intro. Um, it's nice to be yes, here. Sir. And be a part of what you're doing. Meryl, hey, such a privilege to have you on our show and, and talk about, you know, cancer and the things that you've gone through. You know, Meryl, our, our whole purpose here at All Talk Oncology is to empower cancer patients as they're going through uh, something as uh, tragic as cancer. And we know that you've gone through this and so, man, I, I'm just excited because I know what you've gone through and the mental strength that it takes to get through something like this, you can bring so many, some, uh, such a benefit to the listener. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure, my friend. Yeah. So, Meryl, let's talk about that. You know, you were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. How, how was that when you first found that out? Well, I'm not quite articulate enough to describe what I call the dark days of diagnosis because there is, there's not that just initial blow um, for me anyway. And I think it's just pretty fair with most people. It just seems to be a series of, of days that you, you get hung up in what I call the dark days of diagnosis because, you know, you have to have to get your cell type. Um, they got to look at, you know, what, what is going to be the treatment? So um, there might be like in my case, a bunch of tests that you have to go through just to see if you can withstand the abuse of chemotherapy that you're about to endure, uh, which obviously I didn't see coming, any of it coming. So I think the, uh, the overwhelming devastation of hearing that, uh, the reality of that, um, because, and I say the reality of it because I couldn't, and I really don't think any human being could really conjure up in their mind, what would that be like if that was told to me? It's just, I, I find that impossible because shortly prior to my diagnosis, I had just closed a book on somebody who had gone through cancer. I can't remember the exact person in the book it was, but I remember closing it going like this. Okay. I had no history in my family ever of cancer. I've invested in my health my entire life. And I remember closing the book going, you know what? That is one thing I'll never have to worry about. I had great confidence in that fact. And, and then I, I remember thinking to myself, because I couldn't do it. I was like, I couldn't handle that one. That would be way too much. You know, I played football for 22 years. I have broken bones, broken ribs, separated rib cartilage, um, separated shoulders. I mean, broken toes, broken foot, broken hand, broken finger. I mean, I, you can give that all back to me and I've been able to handle that kind of thing and I'll handle that kind of thing. But man, I would never be able to do that. Um, I underestimated myself quite honestly, because about six months later, you know, I, I was diagnosed and I was told I had cancer and that's where I use this term, do you control your mind or does your mind control you? Well, when you hear that and I'll surrender to this or, you know, I'll admit this. Okay. My mind controlled me. The only thing I could think of was chemotherapy and dying. Yeah. Um, until, you know, I started to find hope and hope came within people who had survived it. That's why I applaud what you're doing because, you know, anybody that's watching this has been early, early diagnosed to, you're battling, you've been struggling, find hope in people who have made it. 
what was interesting when I did some research, um, 10 years prior, if I, my diagnosis had been 10 years prior to my diagnosis, they had no treatment. So um, I applaud so many people, um, you know, the, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, um, you know, the Cancer Institute, I mean, all the people who fundraise and have done fundraising because without fundraising, you surely can't have um, advancements in, in treatments, you know, and therefore you can't ever have cures. And so they all work hand in hand. And uh, um, I did have a treatment. Um, the treatment at the time wasn't a real high success rate, but there was a new targeted therapy, which I, I think this is important. I'm sure you've probably talked about it. Targeted therapies are becoming kind of the new norm. And I know more of it in the blood, the blood cancer area versus other cancers. You're probably well more knowledge than I am, but that gave me hope too, that there's some targeted therapies that help enhance the initial treatment. And then I had invested in my health my entire life. I've always taken that as a responsibility and a priority. And it wasn't just because I played football or sports. It really that has something to do with it, but that has in the back of my head, I actually, as a kid, I, I'd always thought that was my responsibility. And that was something I never wanted to let go. Um, and it was the one thing I thought would be my advantage in life. And I didn't see this coming, but it was, I remember my doctor telling me, he's like, Hey, listen, um, with, with the health that you have, the treatments that, that we're going to give you, I can't promise it's going to work. I mean, that was probably the most devastating thing, but he's like, your odds are better. And so, you know, I, I found hope in that kind of thing. I talked to some people prior to me starting my first treatment. And here's what it resonated with me the whole time. Even though they were sharing things to me, but I was like, like the burn holes that were going to happen that I, no doctor mentioned to me. We, I knew about the hair loss, um, but they had walked the plank. So they had, you know, details of abuse. But the whole time I'm watching them, I'm like, wait a minute. They made it. Yeah. I'm like, they made it. And none of them had really had their uh, a great health to walk into the arena with, you know, they, they walked in with, they, you know, they admitted, I just really hadn't invested in my health. They didn't have that. So that's where I, I, I found even more hope that I would use that to beating this thing. And then my mind, I started to control my mind. Okay. You know, I go back to that. Do you control your mind? Does your mind control you? I admit okay. my mind was controlling me with chemotherapy and dying, but the more I did research and work, and started thinking, what is in my favor? I started to control my mind, and therefore I dictated the outcome. I dictated how things were going to be handled. Um, I dictated that that 12 hours sitting in a chemotherapy chair was not going to rob me. It's robbed me of 12 hours, but that is it. That gets 12 yeah. hours, and then I'm out. Yeah. So it, it just became empowering, you know, even when I talk like that. And I, I encourage people to talk like that over there is my goal board. Um, I've always believed this. I experienced this at 12 years old. I still do it to this day. Writing things down where you start and end your day is powerful. You know, and I remember when I was first diagnosed, I went down to my office, took every goal on my board off because none of them mattered then. And I put up, I will destroy non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay, that resonated with me. I tried to find the most powerful word that I could feed off of every day. And it was destroy, 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 destroy. It was destroyed how I cared for myself, the nutrition I was... I was taking how I kept hydrated. Um, I kept working out and training. So all those things drove me. Those they drove me and and made me you know empowered me through the process where 
I had very few bad days, you know, uh, during the process. Um, lost my hair, had the burn holes. I, I got the I got the lovely experience of those things, but <laughs> it wasn't. Um, as I look back on it, um, it was just validation that um, of what is possible for every human being when you use your mind and your spirit for you versus against you. And that's what I want to talk about, Meryl, because that you, you great a great point. You know, appreciate and I appreciate you just touching on all of that. You know, what was that changing point, right? Because, you know, that's a vulnerable place to be in, right? I mean, if you, you've been, you know, you have cancer. You're like, oh, wait, you know what I mean? And you already had talked about, man, that's one thing I'm not going to be able to get through. So what was the point where you was like, hey, my mind is controlling me. And then you transfer you transformed to I'm controlling my mind. What, what was that? It was probably one of the most poignant, powerful moments in my life. Um, it was shortly after I have, at the time I had, my daughter was seven and my son was five. Um, my daughter's always been, and now every parent will say this about their kid, um, which I, I hope they all do because that's how you should think about your kids. But I mean, I'm saying she's just really been in tune with me um and a sweetheart i'm just a special a special human being now i mean um but when i got done telling them one thing i've always uh done with my kids is communicate you know and i i tell people you learn more more by listening than you learn by talking well in this case you know with me going bald and being sick and laying on a couch i mean those are honestly things that they're not used to you know, um, I got up and trained every morning. I was the one that got breakfast, got my kids ready for school. And what had been told to me, I didn't keep in mind what I had. I'm, I'm back to my mind's controlling me. I'm a, I'm chemo, I'm just chemotherapy and dying at this point. Okay. Um, but I wanted them to be aware what changes were going to take place. And I just, I went right back into that dark state. Kenny, just of just chemotherapy and dying. And my daughter walked across the room and uh i had used this as a parenting tool I'll back up a little bit i've always when my kids are struggling or they want to get something or accomplish something i'm like okay well let's find a way to do it you know let's let's and i challenge them you know you and i guide them but i'm like let's get them thinking about the thought process what do you need to do to go get what you want okay not who's going to hand it to you who what can you do what do you got to do so i've always used the word find a way um and not on my own, own life but as a parenting tool so I go back to that. I just get done telling them. I was really just suffocated by chemotherapy and dying. And my daughter, Corey, had worked her way across the room. And she almost woke me up out of my, you know, this, this, you know, this nightmare I'm in. And she said, well, dad, you need to find a way. And I am telling you this. It was at 12 years old, those things, those words resonated with me and inspired me to take action to play in the National Football League, to find a way to do that. And now, I didn't expect them to be reversed that quickly, but they became more, more poignant and more powerful because that's what I needed. And I think it was her saying it that probably meant the most because this seven-year-old is basically saying, well, you know, Dad, you tell us all the time to find a way. You know, don't sit around there and feel sorry for yourself. You know, um, you know, you you know, being sick and tired was no longer an option. Dying, no longer an option. Yeah. Dealing with chemotherapy still going to be an option. I'm losing my hair, but it was a different focus. Now I started thinking, okay. And that's why I've tried to always, I do a lot of motivational speaking throughout the country that 
uh, I try to help people realize, okay, if we can get our the energy that is maybe suffocating us and we can reverse that to attack, man, can it be transforming. And that's what happened on that day is hmm. now I went on, on a, an attack mode. I was going to do something about it. I wasn't going to sit around and feel sorry for myself anymore. I was done doing that. I started finding out people who had been through it. I went to my doctors and nurses and I built up as much information as I could. Um, and I took those resources and that information because see, it's how you interpret things too. The, I remember my doctor saying, man, you know, Meryl, I know that you, you like to train, you're playing in a basketball league. He said, you're just not going to feel like doing that anymore. Well, see what I heard was you can't do that anymore. Mm. And so when I started to get my senses back, I called him up again. I said, Hey, now, did you say I can't or, or I shouldn't? <laughs> and he said, and here's what he said. He cleared it up, you know, um, which I encourage, you know, cancer patients, people have been diagnosed. Um, take notes, you know, and, and then go ahead and read. You can read, you can ask question again. You can reconfirm and make sure you heard it right. Cause man, it's a lot of information you're hearing and you can hear things wrong. And I, so I said, Hey, did you say I can't? work out and he's like oh no and i said you're probably not going to feel like it he goes I, I don't know anybody that's went through this that really feels like working out and doing that and i'm like well do you know anybody that was doing it before they they and he's like well you know no and i said well then i'm i'm gonna do it i'm gonna stay playing on my basketball league i'm gonna stay training like i normally did now listen with the blood counts and the way chemotherapy can attacks the body I had to manage that a little differently, but I didn't. I finished my league, my, my basketball league. Um, I trained every day like I would normally train. Did I have those days where I had a little less energy than others? Yeah, I did. But I still got through it. And um, that purpose was empowering. You know, and I tell people, okay, listen, that doesn't mean you start working out. But if you're used to doing something, hey, listen, maybe it's going playing cards with the fellas. Okay, go do it. Okay, if it's you guys do it, you, you walk, walk. I mean, if there's a routine you have, keep doing that routine because that is going to empower you. That's going to give you a purpose that you're going to need. That's going to help you control your mind. Don't surrender and lay on a couch. Feel sorry for yourself. Okay, I understand how you can think like that. I was going down that road. But once you shift it, it becomes a machine. You know, it becomes a machine. And, uh, and that's what happened. And had my daughter not done that, uh, I, I'm just... I'm grateful she did, you know, she was in tune enough to do that. And it, it changed me that day. Um, and I think the journey was much different um, had she not said that. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Merle, where we find the inspiration and, you know, here it is out of a, a seven-year-old out of her mouth and, and it changed your whole perspective. And, and it's not uncommon, Merrill. you know, it, we call it the pit in coaching right? You, you get diagnosed and man, you hit this down, you hit this downward spiral and you're trying to get out of this pit, but it usually is something that pulls us out of that. And, you know, out of the mouth of babes, here it is. And now you, from what I hear, you put something on your board and now you're moving forward. Now that you had that, you got through treatments. How was that moving forward? Uh, you know, I, I was, I just was speaking to BMW um, in Naples and I, I'd never been asked this question before. Oftentimes I'll do a Q and a after I get done speaking and a lady asked me, she said, um, what did you do to celebrate afterwards? How I answered it is not how I'm going to answer it now because I didn't really have a, a celebration party. I didn't have a celebration. I had a validation if you did or a confirmation, if you will, or validating, um, and that ends up being, you know, 
what people would say, like have a party of celebration or something. So what I mean by that, I wish I had answered her like this. Prior, about six months prior to my diagnosis, which was in February, on, on Valentine's Day here in a few short days, some 19 years ago, by the way, I ran in what was called a 5K. It was for the Art Rooney Statue Fund in um, Pittsburgh, the chief. And um, I had trained for that. I was entered in the Clydesdale division. Okay. So the 5k, the Clydesdale division is anybody over 200 pounds. So I, I, I qualified for that. <laughs> and when I was running it, I understood why I was in the Clydesdale division because there was these, I see, I was watching my shadow. It was a big shadow, right? The sun was in my back. And then these <laughs> little shadows just kept running by me. I was like, okay, I'm not, not built. This is not, I'm not a distance runner. Okay. So um, I, I mean, I do cardio and I believe in that, but I'm just not a distant runner, but I trained for that. Okay. Well, I win it. I win it in 21 minutes and 16 seconds. I win the Clydesdale. The whole thing. The whole I thing. Win, no, the, just the Clydesdale division. Okay. okay. So anybody over 200 pounds, I win. Okay. The, the other little ones, no, I don't beat those guys. <laughs> so, um, so a couple weeks after my, my last treatment, there was uh, on the 4th of July, they were having a 5k where I live. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to just go run, even though I didn't, I kept training, but I really didn't train for that specifically. I'm going to just go run it and see where I stack up based on how I ran that one almost a year ago. And I, I finished it in 21 minutes and 44 seconds. So it was about 30 seconds slower, but it was a validation. Okay. That right there was better than a celebration. That was my validation that, um, man, we all are powerful people. And it taught me what is possible for people when we use that mind for us versus against us. Um, and I know that can be an arduous task at times because of, you know, the circumstances you might be facing. But man, if you can channel and dig and plow your way out of that with positive things and you can create a path of that on a daily basis, it becomes a habit. You know, it becomes um, truly transforming to people when, when you can do that. And I experienced it as a kid at 12, quite honestly. That's why I wrote the book. But I had to be, you know, like my daughter had to re kind of insert that, you know, at a, the most devastating time of my life, quite honestly. But so I had a few tools in place that were there to, you know, I could lean on, which truly helped me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that and try to help people with that. That's why, you know, I was excited to do this. I remember during the, my treatment, um, I was, I was devastated that I was going to have to do the draft for ESPN. I was going to be two days on television for 24 hours a day, bald. I'm like, I could not have been more devastated. I mean, that, that probably was more devastating than anything. Like, you know, embarrassing. I got it. It's going to be for me to walk on the sound thinking. Yeah. And I actually found a way to avoid that. A good friend of mine, um, Tom, um, Eddie White and Tom Shine that ran Reebok out of Indianapolis, good friends of mine. I call them up and I said, hey, listen, could you give me a hat for every NFL team, ship it to me, and I'm going to wear who's ever on the clock's hat. So if it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'll have them on. If it's Chicago Bears, I'll have him on. Washington Redskins, Dallas Cowboys, you know, I ain't going. So I called my ESPN executives and um, – our, the producer of the the draft was Jay Rothman, good friend of mine, and we had our meetings in New York. In New York, uh, well, let me back up. They they okayed it. They're like, if that makes you feel comfortable, sure, because that's not something that you you could do is really wear a hat on, you know, on t on on the on the network shows and the draft. That was just not that's not part of the attire. So yeah. I had to get approval. I get approval, and after the meeting, you know, we have long couple of long days of meetings, and he's like, hey, can we do dinner tonight? This is the night before the draft before our show start. Well, I said, sure. 
So we went to dinner, we sat down, menus get handed to us. Lady comes over, um, we ordered appetizers or something and she leaves and he says, they, he goes, what you hiding? I like, I look, what do you mean? I go, I don't know, well, what do you mean? What am I hiding? He said, I've watched you take this thing on like nobody I've ever seen before. And now you wanna go on national television and put a hat on and hide it? And he's like, do you know how many people might be dealing with you, what you're doing and you're gonna give them hope? And I was like, I never thought of that. I honestly, I'd never thought, I said, yeah, I never thought of that. And I said, well, I'm not gonna wear the hat. Uh, and so I didn't wear the hat. So I get invited to the Gary Player Golf Tournament some year, about six, seven months, years later, when I'm checking in, the lady who's checking me in, she goes, I, she goes, you saved my life. And I was like, we saved my life. She, goes, she had, I think, ovarian cancer, maybe. I can't remember specifically, but she was on a couch, feeling sorry for herself, thinks she's going to die. Her dad walks in, turns on the draft, and he said, that guy's going through what you're going through. Get off the couch. And she goes, it completely changed me. She goes, I did. I got off the couch and I realized quit feeling sorry for myself. So it was one person, you know, Absolutely. Um, and, and that, and that I'm telling you that, that moved me, that moved me at this, you know, so, and I was grateful for, it. I called Jay Roth and I was like, thank you. Thank you for calling me out and creating a bigger scope for me versus my selfie scope of how embarrassed I, let me hide this head, you know, I was just, it was, so that's why, you know, doing these things, I just find, you know, powerful. If it's just one, you know, that you get hope from, they get hope. Um, they see things a little different and they attack it differently. And it makes a difference, you know, in their, in their battle. Well, let me, let me ask you a little bit about that because one men typically don't want to talk about anything that may be going through, right? We, we internalize that. And so to get you on the show and, and to be able to talk about that is phenomenal. Number two, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. It's embarrassing for some people. They they tend to be a little shy about it. And I'll, I'll bring that up with Chad Brodswick. Here he is, is the Black Panther. No one knew that he was going through that. And granted, that's his personal choice. But as right. you brought out, the amount of lies that you can touch because you don't know who's going through it. What was it about that you felt, you know what? I didn't want to, I don't want people to know this. And, but then that transformation you talked about, but what was it at first? Well, you know, I, I, I wasn't too concerned about uh, people finding out. Um, now the, the drafting probably was a more of a vain thing, you know, like, mm -hmm. ah, going out on their ball, that's just not going to be the coolest thing in the world. So <laughs> once you realize how stupid that is and how real vain it is, but here's how I've always been like, listen, some of my, my, my dearest friends still this day are doctors and athletic trainers. All right. Cause I am not, you know, the, the normal reputation a guy gets, you know, we, we don't talk about it. You know, you don't go look at it. Okay. Not me. I have something wrong. I'm in the doctor. I want to know what it is and how do I get it better? Yeah. I want to be proactive in the process. And that has always done me wonders in my life is, and I try to tell people, cause I shoot, I was just with my buddy, Mark Malone, mm -hmm. who's, who um, he, he was my quarterback when I first got in the league, you know, he was at ESPN forever. Um, amazing friend. He was like, you know, I don't know if I'd want to know that. I go, ooh, bad, bad approach because you're going to know. Problem is too late with that idea. Mm. You know, you here's the here's the things we have to our advantage, which, which I think I, I want everybody to listen to. You know, hopefully you people are listening to this that, 
you know, haven't been diagnosed with cancer. Here's what should empower you. A couple things to your advantage. Okay, our health is our responsibility. Okay, so that is truly on us. That is truly what we're responsible for. Invest in it. Take care of yourself, being in the best shape. Because when you get diagnosed with something like this, and something happened to me later, I'll, you know, anything that's like this, you can't run. If you don't have great health, you can't run down to Target and pick it up. You have what you have. And why that is so important. I told you all the tests that I was going through. Okay, well, they had me going all these tests. I went to one of my last tests was my a heart test. And I told the lady, I was like, hey, I don't know what they're doing. I go, they might make a mistake because I go, I, I, I'm going through chemotherapy. I'm not doing the heart, whatever they're doing with the heart. She goes, oh, we're just testing to see if you can withstand what you're about to go through. She goes, I just told a 38-year-old guy the other day that he could not withstand the chemotherapy that was going to be required to save his life. They couldn't even do the treatment because of his poor health. And I mean, I'll tell you that that probably was a val the strongest validation I ever had of how grateful I was that I've invested in it every day from a nutritional aspect to a moving aspect to taking care of my body to the best I can because I needed that as a powerful weapon. So that's one, how we invest in ourselves, the health that we have is going to be a powerful tool for you to battle what might come your way. And then early diagnosis with anything, you know, the earlier you find out about something, the better chance you've beaten it. So those are two great tools that we do control. That's why you go to, you know, annual physicals. That's why, you know, you do the test. That's why if something's wrong and it's persistent, I use the word persistent and consistent and it's growing, go in and ask, go figure it out, go ask, you know, go get somebody to look at it. Just don't keep putting it off, put it off. And I've never been like that. When I have something wrong, I'm like, I got to find out what it is right now. I might be in the training room every day, but I'm also out of the practice field every day. You know, I played some, 14 years straight without ever missing a practice or a game. But that doesn't mean I wasn't in the training room every day because I was, <laughs> but I was just there taking care. I was there taking care of myself. And um, I don't think it's a soft approach at all. And, you know, um, I always try to tell people when I coach youth football, two greatest strengths that you can have as a football player from a young at kid's age or is to be tough and smart. And I go, being tough and smart is a great combination because if we get hurt, we do the right thing and take care of ourselves. We don't try to push things out or push things through that we don't need to. Let's take care of ourselves. Those two things are vital, you know, in being successful. You really, in life, you can be tough, but you can also be smart. And you blend those two things. Um, it can do wonders for you. I wanted to share this. This is one of the um, questions from one of my listeners and followers, they wanted me to ask this. It says, people used to consider cancer a death sentence. And many oncologists have spoken about statistics on air uh, that have uh, scared people. What is your opinion? Well, you know, I always got a, statistics are dangerous. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we were on air talking about this or it was before you said some 18 million people have been diagnosed uh, with cancer this year or something like that. Now, when you hear that number, you know, that is staggering, but you also, that is the numerator. That's the people who have been affected. But when you look at a statistic, you always have to understand what's that being drawn from? What's the denominator? So the 18 million, big, and there's no doubt that's big, but the denominator is 333 million. So when you take that 18 million from 333 million, um, it's still a big number, don't get me wrong. But it does give it a perspective, you know, of what it's being pulled from. That's out of 333 million people in the country. Um, 
so that gives you just a better perspective. So, you know, when they use numbers, you have to understand where is that, what is the denominator? They're just giving you the numerator. And when we fail to do that, we can get scared to death about not understanding all the facts, you know, and at the end of the day, they, there are their numbers too. I mean, um, is that number going to mean you have a chance? Well, like I said, I thought I was one person will never have to worry about this. Um, so there's some things that you can't predict in life. You know, I mean, I never had a history of it. My lifestyle didn't lead to it. There's nothing that led to it, but it ends up happening. Um, so I could sit there and spend all my time on that or how am I going to address this and, and move forward? So, you know, going back to your listener, the things that they control daily, okay, how they take care of themselves. Are they following up? Are they listening to their body? Okay. That is, those are powerful tools and those tools right there. Um, have sustained me through cancer and open heart surgery. So it isn't, I, I have some experience with that. And I can tell you this, that that was, I think ends up at the end of the day being my, my greatest tools is that I had those in place prior to it. And I'm more convinced now than ever of being proactive with your health. You know, I mean, doing your exams and follow-ups and checkups. I mean, those are critical components of, identifying things early the earlier you do that i know of nothing that the earlier you identify it the better chance you have of beating it you know i i don't know everything out there but everything i've 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 come across or dealt with it's always been one thing that said you know i've got this earlier i mean i could have put this off for months quite honestly i really had no i had one stupid symptom that really wasn't even a symptom it was just when i ducked my head in the shower I, i had a little pain in my back that's my only symptom i was asymptomatic technically by symptoms standards you know and then by then who knows i mean where it could have been or the battle you know could have been lost before it even even had a chance to to get underway sure and then you think about what you just talked about being asymptomatic and but then you go in and you find out was it stage stage two was it von hodgkin's it was stage two but it was a three pound tumor in my lower back so you know, I had a doctor tell me, he said, your body did a really good job of kind of quarantining it. You know, it's like, let's say it's the garage, you have termites, you know, they're just in the garage. You know, they're not everywhere. He's like, your body did a good job of your immune system of holding it in check um, into the one, the one area. He said, that was the one thing I thought was unique. He's like, it didn't let it go beyond that, you know, but it'd probably been there for about nine months. They figured, um, to get to that kind of mass at the growth of the, the large B cell it was. Yeah. Well, talk to me, you know, Meryl, I know you're working on a few things. You, you're an active man and, you know, you take care of yourself, you, you diet, you're out there, you, you stay physically fit and amazing, which is amazing, you know, but you also been working on some other things. You got, you know, a book called find a way. You want to talk to, talk to our listeners about that a little bit. Well, you know, it's funny, I, not that I have this on cure, I expected to, but this right here, okay, this is actually the second edition. Um, and I only bring this up, it's not really to, to highlight the book, but I highlight um, what is possible for people again, you know, and, and how something can look devastating in a certain scope of life and ends up being saving your life. And what I mean by that, so I was in a chemotherapy chair on my last day, a good friend of mine hired a film crew because I had talked to him about how my day was. I get up at six, go to my treatment. I get done around six. 
come home and work out. And he's like, really? He goes, I'm going to get a film. I'm going to document that. So he hires a film crew. Now, he is a, he knows I'm, I'm passionate about being a dad. And I'm telling you, we did a lot of interviews. You know, we kept the footage. And I really thought I was trying to document some things for my kids if I didn't make it. You know, so we're trying, it was really kind of a, a wisdom type of conversation, if you will, and thinking of down the road for kids. And um, I told you about Find A Way, how that, those words changed my life at age 12 and how they really, it led me on a journey of action. And from Aristotle to Walter Payton, to Chuck Noll, to all these people who challenged me or inspired me in my life. And anyway, I get done. He's like, hey, you, you got to write a book. I said, hey, Charlie, if I survive, I'll write your book. Okay, really, mm -hmm. I, I shut it away then. I just shut it away then. Well, a year later, he called me up. He said, you remember what you said? And I was like, no, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> He's like, you said you'd write that book. He goes, I think that book would be important, Merrill. Well, I write it. And then I, yeah, I wrote 10 years ago. So um, I was speaking at an event and a lady came up to me, a professor. She goes, um, is your open heart surgery in there? Because I had talked about my open heart surgery. And I was like, in, in your book. And I was like, oh, no, I go, that was actually afterwards. She goes, well, you should republish that. And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> I was like, I don't know you can do that. So I, I said, I didn't know you could do that. So I called my publisher, um, um, Mascot Books, and, you know, Naren, who's the CEO there, I said, can you do that? Can you like add some chapters? He's like, oh yeah, it does all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh. I go, that's, that was cool because, and here's why it was cool. On my last pet cat scan that I had, where it was the one, if it's clean, I'm never going to have to do this again. You know, I'm five years, I'm, I'm five years removed. I'm going to have, if I get a clean scan, I'm not going to have to do these anymore. I'm going to get a clean bill of health. I'm going to be considered cured, even though I'd cured, I was cured the day I walked out of there on that last, I was cured the day I walked out of my fourth treatment, even though I had to come back and do two more. That being said, he said, uh, Stan Marks called me up and he said, who was my oncologist? And he said, Hey, Merrill, great news. You're clean. But in the way he said it, I was like, that sounds like there's something coming out on the back end. Right. So he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, not, not to alarm you, the, the person who read it, noticed that your aorta was a little enlarged so i was like well, what's your aorta he goes well that's your heart muscle i'm like well of course my my heart muscle is bigger i mean i've been training my whole life i mean of course that heart muscle is bigger i'm like yeah you don't know what you're talking about he goes well <laughs> i'm sending it over to dr h your family practitioner my family doctor and you gotta look at it that's all right so i go look at it for a couple of years let's just i'll just give you some numbers so say an aorta let's say the valves like a one okay one is standard the size you know you really should be at the time i was like a two and a half now i had a kind of a bubble in it so imagine like a garden hose having a bubble well this is what they said like if the bubble if the wall of the lining of the bubble is the same thickness as the rest of it it's just probably a birth defect this is really not that big a deal well they wanted to watch it if it had gotten any bigger over a couple of years we do that we did that every year for a couple of years nothing changed fast forward some five six years later i am uh, i'm training hard i'm working i'm doing these hard interval training things and i don't know why but every time i got done doing those only those i kept thinking man if i had a heart attack i'm like again I'm like why would i have a heart attack i mean i know my, how, how my heart is there no way i'm like that's the dumbest thing to think of but every time I would do it, it would just eat at me a little more, a little more. And so I was like, you know what? I haven't had a stress test in five years. So I call up my Dr. Yates. I said, hey, can I get a stress test? He's like, why? 
And I said, well, I just wanted to validate my health. I just want to, I haven't, I want to see where I am cardiovascular wise. Look at my heart. He goes, yes. He goes, and guess what? We are, he goes, let's look at that aorta. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I completely forgot about it. I go do the stress test. They do an echocardio on that. He calls me up after, um, after I leave. And he said, hey, listen, when are you back in town? Um, I said, I'm going to be back in a few weeks. It was like around August. He said, well, I want you to see a specialist. Why don't you come in and see, here's the number. Why don't you call them and get an appointment? I said, all right. So I called the secretary, the nurse up and or the secretary and asked for an appointment when I was going to be back in town in a few weeks. And she says, he's booked till December. I said, perfect, because my ESPN stuff starts. I'm not done till February. So <laughs> that works for me. I'll call you back in December and we'll do this thing in February. Well, I get about another hundred miles and she calls back. She goes, listen, he has an opening actually on one of the days you're back here. You can see him. So I was like, sure. So when I come back there, I walk in, um, I'm sitting on the desk or on my chair and he walked in and it must've just been my body language, but he's like, do you know why you're here? And I said, yes, I got a better A order than anybody in the country. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, okay. He, he's like wise out, right? He's like, uh, we're going to teach this kid some. He goes, he throws my screen up there. You see my heart and you see red and blue, some things going, but you see my heart going. He says, see this red? And I, he shows his flow. I said, yeah, he goes, that's very good. This is exactly what we like. He said, you see the blue? It was kind of going the other way. So different. He goes, so that's not good. He goes, your heart's leaking. Hmm. You got my attention. And then he says, see this line right here? And it was a straight line and you could see it. It's kind of white. He said, that is a perfect line of your aorta. He said, you see the top here? And it had this bump in it, right? He said, that's not good. He goes, you got to fix that. I go, well, how do you fix that? He goes, open heart surgery. And I was like, I go, this cannot be happening again. I'm like, and it's a little different. Chemotherapy, you know, like, you know, you're going to have a battle. There's going to be a journey to this. Open heart surgery, that can be final. You know, the second, the second you decide to do that, and keep in mind, he goes, the doctors here, I want him to look at it. I want to say I was almost at around a six or seven. I can't, I can't remember the exact number, but I was at a point where it was emergency surgery. He's like, wow. it, it was beyond emergency surgery. So they were going to like admit me right then. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, we're not. I, I didn't come in here and do, go to our, for our surgery. I'm like, <laughs> I, I mean, I got ESPN. I, I mean, I got to talk to ESPN. I got, I mean, my son was a freshman at BYU. I was going to watch his first game. I wanted to be his home and away game. I'm like, no, 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 time out. Well, anyway, what happened, fast forward, I ended up doing the open heart surgery about five weeks later. Um, I walked out of the hospital four days later. I, 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 I flew to Canada a week later and spoke and I've never looked back. But my point was sharing that if I do not have cancer, if I do not have routine six month pet cat scans nobody sees it and credit the guy who read it to notice that because i had been doing those for four and a half years i'm like how come nobody noticed that before i just happened to have a, a fresh set of eyes looked at it and he's like hey by the way check that out we would i wouldn't be here having your uh being on your show had that not ha had i not had cancer i would not be on your show. Cause I asked the doctor, I go, so when would I have probably figured this out? He said, well, you probably wouldn't have, he goes, but we'd have figured it out in your autopsy. Wow. And I was just like, Oh my wow. gosh. Right, so, so, you know, as brutal as that journey was, and I go back to that initial thought process and then 
my daughter and her challenge, the things people have taught me, you know, from Walter Payton to Aristotle, Chuck Noll, people I've mentioned, um, um, from, you know, the girl that um, ran the uh, Gary Player golf tournament, you know, just all of them, I mean, there's a whole bunch I'm missing here now, but um, doing this is why I, I, mean, I was glad to do it because you just, I've gained strength from so many other people who have shared their journey or challenged me or said something in a way. And hopefully that's what, what you've done here. It's why I applaud you. You know, you, you give a stage for people to listen and take whatever they see fit and how it works in their lives, which is, you know, a powerful thing to be able to do. Um, and here's things in a different way or, or things they may not have heard that might help them. Hey, Meryl, thank you so much for that. I, I appreciate that, that compliment. And, and that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do here. And, you know, one of the things I, I like to ask, you know, the Merrill who, before cancer, he was a beast out there on the field. He was a man that was determined, you know, he loves his family. You get diagnosed. How has cancer changed your perspective on life? It's given me a better one. It's given me a, a, a reality, a, a real one. You know, I, I now I put things in perspective a lot quicker and simpler um into what's really important you know like life you have a lot of things right that's what they are things you know like i'm gonna sit in an office there's just these they're things back here really you know what i mean um if the, my house i'm not so married to my things that um like when i was diagnosed i i remember um i didn't have regrets i remember i had peace that even though i was going to fight for them I'd invested everything I had in my kids. I had really, I, I could, I could swear to you, I can, I could, I could stand in front of my maker and just go, I, I know this. I have an ultimate peace with, I did the very best I could to teach them and love them. And I want to keep, keep, continue to do that and grateful that I was blessed, that I am blessed to do that. But I had peace with that. I didn't have a regret. And I kept thinking, man, wouldn't that be awful to have cheated them and not invested in them? And then have this battle and have that burden that I'd have to carry. I didn't have to carry a burden, you know, through that process, which, which helped me. And I was grateful for that. And now listen, their little faces is what drove me, you know, gave me that energy, you know, and on, on the rough and the brutal days. Um, and my gosh, when I think about when I was diagnosed, I mean, the, the God, Corey, who I shared that story with about, okay, she's due for, with her fourth baby any day like she could text me right now <laughs> i mean that's how close it is so <laughs> the things i always that when you go back to perspective i guess what, I, what i'm trying to say is i reflect all the time on all the things i'd have missed had i not survived and not been able to beat it and the boy the birth of my fourth grandbaby i would have missed the marriage of my daughter missed my son all the things i would have missed and um you know back here I don't know if I got him up, but right, Stuart Scott, dear friend of mine. Okay, Stuart Scott, you know, lost his battle. And that's where we connected really as dads, you know, and and I think about that, like what he's missed. And so I, I make that a priority, you know, with um, your family, your kids. Um, those things are important. Things are not important, you know, and the times that you can spend with friends and relationships are, are what what is real value. And it's helped me with yeah. that. And thank you for sharing that. You know, and I, I think, I think 
we all get caught up in that right marrow in things sometimes. And, you know, that, that beast, you know, that, that devastating beast of cancer really gives us perspective on what's really important. And, and to see your face light up when you start, start talking about your kids, you know, it, it just brings joy. I, I got goosebumps about it too. So, you know, thank you for that. My pleasure, and, man. Yeah. And, you know, Meryl, that, that says a lot about who you are and your character, you know, and, and I say, I say that going into, tell us a little bit about that nonprofit organization that you created. Well, you know, um, I, I got to give credit to Charlie LaValle who really created it. Um, I was just grateful that he made me a part of the team. Um, I've been the chairman of the board for geez, almost 15, maybe 20 years now. I can't, but I was a part of the program that wasn't actually end up. It was actually the caring, the caring team. Now it's the caring place. It originally started in Western Pennsylvania in the late eighties when all the steel mills shut down and all these families had lost their jobs and there was no insurance for children. So with the Steelers and Highmark and I think a local priest, um, they created what was called a caring team. And I was part of that. I was a captain. Cornell Lake and I were cat team captains to spear that program. And it ends up becoming the blue chip program the, other, the government adopted. They, the government told, took it from us and made it a national model. Now, they yeah. didn't tell you where they got it. And the reason it worked is because you had a community caring for one another, you know, um, and you had you're helping people, but people were helping themselves too to get out of that process. And that's why it was such a powerful program. But we needed another mission. Shortly about then, he had lost one of his sons, uh, tragically uh, was killed. And the pain that he was going through, he came to me and he's like, you know, I know you lost your mom as a, a young age. Where did you go? What, who, who helped you? What'd you do? And I'm like, oh, Charlie, I didn't go. I ain't going anywhere. He's like, that's, just, he goes, we, we got to change that. He goes, people going through the grieving process need help through that. And he couldn't have been more right. So, okay, we created the caring place. So it's a grieving center for families to come. You know, we focus on children, but it's for everybody. It's for family and parents. And, the grieving process is true. You know, you and I say, say we've known each other for 30 years. You lose your mom, you lose your dad. You lose. Now I'm going to be very sympathetic to you for a while. You know, I might care, you know, for a week, I, but I'm moving. I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's natural. I mean, I don't carry those emotions like you do. Um, so you're left swimming in the ocean by yourself with heavy baggage. Um, no, it's a variety of emotions that come from the, the sadness and the sorrow and the loss um, that you deal with. Um, and there's no timetable to that. And when you have no timetable to it, you have, there's often, it's great to go to a sanctuary where they understand that. And you can, six months down the road, you can still go, man, I, my heart rips. When I walk in the house still this day and I don't see my mom, that hurts. You know, I walk, I mean, I go to call her and I'm like, oh, she's not here. I mean, that kills. Um, you know, having help you, people help you through that process is a real, real been really instrumental and powerful to see families that, and people and kids have a place, a sanctuary to go where they can rebuild. You know, they can get some, you know, footers reestablished in their life without dealing with this, all these emotions and not knowing how to handle them. So I think it's been very powerful um, for a lot of families. Um, and talk about thing does discriminate. I mean, Death does not discriminate. Um, and uh, the people, the volunteers that we have, I mean, it's just a special place with special people and has done wonders for a lot of families. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Miro, we thank you for that. And uh, thank you for, for sharing because we hope to empower the next person. And again, at All Talk Oncology, that is our goal here and to power uh, cancer patients through insightful conversations that reinforces certainty and confidence about their cancer condition. And, and I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day and to giving us this. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me, Kenny. I sure appreciate it. It's nice meeting you. Yeah, keep doing it, brother. Keep helping people. Thank you so much. Merrill, once again, I want to thank you so much for joining us here at All Talk Oncology. So when it came to gems today in our interview, I hope you picked up on a few of them. One is, do you control your mind or does your mind control you? And if you listen to Merrill, in the beginning, his mind controlled him. He talked about the only thing that he can think about was chemotherapy and death. And it was overwhelming. You know, he sat there for a week, he talked about, and couldn't move. Chemotherapy and death. But what changed? What allowed him to get control of his mind? You know, if you remember, he talked about his daughter came in and she told him, Daddy, find a way. And that was a, that was a word that he had used since he was a little boy. Since he was 12 years old, he started using that word, find a way. And that was the changing point. So for you, getting control of your mind, hopefully that gem, that nugget that uh, Meryl gave us can help you. Another gem that I hope you picked up on was hope. He talked about hope was something that was able uh, to get him through. He said, looking at other people and their stories and how they survived helped him to get hope again. He talked about finding hope in people uh, who made it. And so that was our whole thing here at All Talk Oncology. You know, we wanted to empower the cancer patient on their journey through insightful conversations, right? And so I hope that our podcast can give you hope uh, in finding that. We have a whole bunch of guests that what they've gone through and how they've gotten through this. So we hope that this is something that can help you. Another thing that he talked about, he says that is it, that what is in our favor is finding a word that is powerful that you can feed off of. And for him, it was destroy, right? He was gonna destroy this cancer. He was gonna destroy chemotherapy, right? It was a powerful word that he can utilize that can help him through. And so we say, you know what? If you can find a powerful word that helps you, that gets you through this process, by all means, use that. And then it says, what, what another nugget that he talked about is what can you do if you're struggling, right, through something, or you're trying to accomplish something? Again, it was his word, find a way, right? Find a way to get through it. And so I hope that these gems uh, were something that you can feed off of and that can help you on your cancer journey. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.